0: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. India won the final test at Ahmedabad by an in innings to seal the series 3 1 against England to book their place in the World Test Championship final and return to the top of the ICC Test team rankings. We'll be discussing that, England's win in New Zealand, some captaincy news in South Africa, sixes in the West Indies, the PSL postponement, and much more. I'm Yasuana, and to get through all that with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon and the editor-in-chief of Wiz and Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Let's start on the test itself before going into the series as a whole. In the end, England lost by an innings, but at one stage fairly deep into the second day, they were arguably ahead in the test with India six down in their first inning, still trailing by 60. And then Rishabh Pant and Washington Sundar, but especially Pant, took the game away from England. It was Pant's third Test 100 and yet another decisive contribution this winter. Joe, that final session on the second day, was probably the most important of the game um, and just took the game completely away from England.
3: Yeah, he absolutely did. I I mean, Phil and I were exchanging a couple of messages just after this and, and I said to Phil that even though it looked... The scoreline said England were absolutely in the game at that stage. Personally, I still didn't really feel like they had a particularly big chance because it just felt like they were going to just be blown away in their second innings and the India would be able to manage to chase whatever target they had. But that said, yeah... Pant was awesome, as he has been for the last four or five months now. Um, he's already creating a legacy as a, as a special cricketer, and he's only just getting started. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, England will be pleased to see the back of him for now, but then we'll be seeing plenty more of him this summer, which um, England bowlers might not be looking forward to, but I think most England fans will be. Even he is going to put England to the sword again.
2: Yeah, he played that one shot uh, off Jimmy, didn't he? The reverse lap. Over, over the slips that was just, just incredible. I don't think that I mean you're not supposed to do that in Test cricket at all. Let alone to uh, a guy with 600 Test wickets. Let alone when he's when he's bowling the second new ball. So that yeah, that was a, that was sort of like a sort of scales falling from the eyes moment. I think for anyone who is still doubting how good, Russia Pat is. But yeah, it was it was. It, you, I really did feel like England were actually in the game, and especially because I kind of felt before the test that they quietly had a chance. You Know that obviously it was only 2 1, and India had to kind of. I don't know, the scoreline didn't flatter them, or the results didn't flatter them, but it was uh England had chances in those first two games as well. Like, if England had just given a little bit more of themselves or turned it on just slightly at the right moments in those games, then they would have been quite a lot closer. And then I think I think India scored more runs in the last session of day two than they had in the first two combined, and yeah, that really was just the the real moment when it kind of turned into a tour when in England had kind of kept their heads up, sort of competed to being one of those tours where it kind of all just started falling apart. And that last day batting forwards was exactly that kind of a sort of end of tour, sort of let's just have a bit of fun and like it'll all it will be overseen kind of thing. It just sometimes in Test series you get you get
3: into what feels like a kind of inescapable rhythm. And it's often when England are playing in Asia. Uh and I just felt by the end of it, I felt like if they'd played another 10 tests, then in India probably would have won the series 13-1. Uh, it just, because there's so much of it, obviously there were technical issues in terms of how the batsmen playing spin, but so much of it was psychological as well. And it was just impossible for me to see how England were going to claw their way back from that. I mean, Ben Stokes uh, played really well in that first innings, I thought. And Dan Lawrence, I guess, is, is one positive that England can take away from, from this tour. Not to mention a victory in the first test, but of the latter part of the tour. But it just didn't feel like as a group they had anything like enough to really push India and when you look at the margins of defeat in each of those uh, second, third and fourth tests uh, we can talk about rotation, we can talk about various other factors but the fact is England were well beaten by a much better side.
0: I kind of think though that we'll get onto the batsmen in more detail later on but I kind of wonder how much can you really criticise the England batting group just because like, a lot of very well established Indian batsmen really struggled as well. No, I know that other than Root, no English batsman averaged more than 25. But other than um, Sharma and Pant, none of the Indian top six averaged over 30 either. Kohli, Pajara, Rane and Gill all struggled. It was just a very hard series to bat in, really. And I, I do think the, the margin of victory did kind of flatter India a little bit. It was kind of the odd individual standout innings that took England away.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's fair up to a point. Um... Certainly, Sharma was the standout player across the course of the series and was playing a different kind of game. Um, of, of the many reasons why England will kick themselves when they, when the post-mortem gets played out here, Cody didn't get many runs. I mean, he got 70 odd in the first test match, albeit in a kind of rather futile cause and then got a couple of blobs and not much else. Now, when, when you look at the, and the Rahane the same, you know, a, a nondescript series from, from a brilliant player. So, so I think. In mitigation, those those points are fair and and reasonable, and and while we don't want to go down the down the road of the pitches again, uh, the the reality was that they were tough places to bat for everybody concerned. Um, that's what made Sharma so special, and what makes him so special in Indian conditions. England's mind went. I think somebody said it just now uh, that the collective psyche of the side was shot by the end of it. And and as Joe's right, I mean this happens. This happens on long tours. Away from home, in particular, and it's happened here. The, the The real clincher was the third, the second innings of the third Test match when out, but Root had taken five for five for nothing, and you saw the way that they came out to play, and none of them backed themselves to bat for more than an hour. None of them backed themselves technically, defensively, uh, and so they, they kind of we enveloped in this sort of kamikaze approach. Can somebody maybe stick out, stick it out, fluke it for an hour, maybe get to 40 odd and we might be able to set them 120. That was the attitude. And that attitude was the culmination of what had happened for the, the week or two before that. And that bled into the final test match. Um, Joe Root won three of the three of the four tosses and obviously batted first in each. To have only scrabbled up to 200 on that first day. That pitch was okay. That pitch, that, in the fourth test was fine. It, it spun a bit, but it didn't go through the top on the first day very much at all. Certainly not appreciably. There was a bit of pace and bounce for the Seamers. It was a good cricket wicket. Um, and, and, and England's, England's top six, seven, they just, they couldn't rouse themselves. And technically as well, they just, they'd run out of trust in, in themselves as well, you know, and, and even Stokes, who did play nicely, the ball that he got out to is the ball that he's got out to all winter, the kind of vaguely non-turning left arm, non-spinner into the non-rough, and he plays back and he misses it. And that, and that seemed to, to typify where the, where the team were by the end of the series, really. Um, they will still look at that, and look, it sounds a little bit naff to, to talk about this, but in a nip and tuck series, in a nip and tuck test match, and that test match was until Rishabh took it away from them, and he, and he was out, he was, he was out LB, the, the final ball before T, or the final over before T on that second day. Um, <clears throat> that would have changed the complexion of the game. I'm not saying it would have changed the result, because England was struggling to get to 150 come what may. Uh, but it would have changed the complexion of the game, and it would have given India something to chase on that final innings, as it was. Uh, I think the energy, the life just sucked out of them at that moment, and poor old Don Bess, covered in clarts from head to toe, desperate for a break. Um, hadn't bowled well but you know he's plucky and you he's a cricketer that you warm to for that and he just needed a break and that that lb that wasn't given well they will look back at that and think that that was the hinge moment of the game really just on england's
3: issues against spin watching them collapse again in that second innings uh of the most recent test it reminded me of uh i spoke to ben duckett in must have been september 2016 just before we went to bangladesh and india that winter and he, he was picked because he'd scored mountains of runs that season for Northampton uh, but also because he was regarded as one of the best players of spin in the country and i remember speaking to him; and he was understandably confident going into that tour and he told me that playing spin was his strength and and he was right he, he wasn't trying to put a fast one that, that, that's what he felt and in county cricket he was but in the context of batting against ravi ashwin in the subcontinent saying you're a good player of spin in county cricket is like saying you're a good player of swing and scene bowling but you've only ever faced it in the nets it's just a completely different thing that you're encountering and Duckett you'll remember was terrorized by Ashwin dismissed by him every time he faced him dropped and hasn't played test cricket since and Ben Duckett is still one of the best players that's been in the country but it's a stretch to believe that he would have fared much better than the, the batsman who struggled in this latest tour and, and and these are players like Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope we're talking about these as special batting talents uh, and yet they really really struggled and I think you're right, Yaz. I think we can't blame them too much because partly because of the pictures, but more just because of where they're coming from and the experience they've had against bowling.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, the, the frustration for England will be—you mentioned them—Pope Pope and Crawley are the big, the, the totems of English batting for the next five years. This is how how people are seeing it, and understandably so, I think. Um, but they've a faced no kind of kind of quality, as you say, Joe. But B, the frustration will be that when Cook went to India as a greenhorn and when Root went to India as a greenhorn, they both made runs immediately. And there was something innate in their approach that enabled them to, to circumnavigate the complexities of batting batting in India, batting in the subcontinent. The frustration has been that neither of these two, who you were hoping would play one defining innings, say, in eight, te- in eight innings. And okay, Crawley played nicely for 50, but that was against the Seamers um and i don't think he's been out against seam since the middle of last summer or something like that so so the frustration will be that there were there were very few indications that either of them had, had begun to crack the puzzle now there are many examples of some great players who who firstly never cracked the puzzle but who certainly took a while to crack the puzzle and the the, the obvious one to go to is ponting but ponting even after 14 test matches in india only ever averaged 26 across 15 years of test cricket so So, it is an unquestionably challenging job, even for the very, very best. Uh, Crawley and Pope, you hope and believe will get more chances and, and it will happen again, and you hope that they will improve and fail better and fail again and fail a bit better, and so on and so on. Crawley's approach was was garbled; I mean he was caught mid off twice in, in, in seven or eight innings. Um, th- th- there's, there's a hell of a lot for them to have to have to assess now. Uh, and I think the genie's out the bottle in, up to a point with regards to, to the county setup. I, there's so There's been so much talk now around uh, the prevalence of seam above, above spin and the importance of, of recognising and respecting spin a little bit more. That needs to start to change now over the next few years um, or else we will continue to be having these conversations year after year.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the thing that's hard for me is actually looking at who's improved as a player of spin over this tour and it doesn't feel like Anyone has really, if anything, and feels Phil, really right to point out that they were, they were kind of spooked by the fourth test, by what happened in the second and the third. Like after doing so well in Sri Lanka, they kind of went into that first test all with a game plan, with a method that they kind of trusted, that they knew that they could kind of, like, on a pitch that would allow them to bat long, that they could, like, back themselves to do that. Uh, and then by the end, you know, you had Pope sort of trying to kind of dance down the track fren- frenetically kind of every single you had Stokes playing sort of fine sweeps to first slip you had you know like it it didn't seem like any of them were any closer to cracking the puzzle either it's not like uh, you know on on that 2012 tour uh, Bell and Trot had kind of struggled against spin that whole year in Pakistan and in Sri Lanka uh, earlier and then by the end had kind of sort of shown enough to get hundreds in that final test and that, and that that progression didn't seem evident which I think will be Slightly worrying. And yeah, if, if England had kind of in a way, if the surfaces surfaces had been reordered in this series, if that second test, if that sorry, if that fourth test surface had come in the second test and England had won the toss, I think they would have backed themselves to play the same way and had much, much better results. Whereas they kind of just expected another spinning top, didn't realise quickly enough that it wasn't that, and then were kind of really, although you can you can point to, you know they bowled really well uh, up till Pan took the game away and so they could have been in the game. That only makes that batting performance on the first day even more lamentable really, because like they could have got up to 300 and then they would have been properly in the game, even when, you know, Pan played a freak of innings uh, on day two.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of think that because England travel to Asia so infrequently, I mean, the, they've only played in Sri Lanka um, in the last four or five years before this tour, um, that generalisations are made about how to play in Asia and how to play spin based off quite limited experience on specific surfaces against specific bowlers. So, for, for example, the pitches are just a little bit different in Sri Lanka India. England probably haven't really played on any surfaces like the Ahmedabad pitches in the last five years. Um, and you know, if you succeed against Rangela, Herath and Dilruan Pereira, that doesn't necessarily mean that that just because... India also have a left-arm spinner and off spinner that that's going to work against Axel Patel and Ravi Chandran, who are much taller, get um, the ball to bounce a little bit more. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that England's success against spinner the last few years has not relied upon, but um, a lot of it's been based about around sweeping a lot and India don't really sweep. and They're the home side and I think that's quite telling. And Especially, it's hard to sweep against bowlers at all. So I kind of wonder if the success in Sri Lanka, winning those five tests in a row in Sri Lanka in the last two years, might have actually... Hindered England a little bit in kind of lulling them into thinking that this was the blueprint for success uh, with a bat in Asia. And, I, and the other thing I'd say is that um, Strauss made the point that you made, Phil, uh, um, on TV about how some English players in the past have just done well against spin from day one. But uh, sorry, Crawley and Pope just didn't really have the surfaces with which you could kind of learn on it. You couldn't. It was very difficult to just kind of get through a period. Yep. Um, and then learn on the job which what these guys kind of have to do because they don't face anything like that in England
1: yeah just uh, I, I agree with that entirely um, just one thing on Pope because we, we don't want to we don't want to just casually and lazily throw him into the, to the, to the, to that box necessarily as being out of, out of his depth in these conditions foreign and alien as they are for, for a couple of hours on that first day I thought Pope played quite nicely and then was out in a freakish manner caught off his back pad um, off his back leg, looping up to, to short leg. Um, it looked like he had begun to figure it out a little bit. He was Michael Clarking it. He was running down the pitch every other ball, trying to get to the, to the half volley and punch it up to, to mid on. And it looked like he was beginning to figure it out slowly. he um, was also Ashwin a couple of times beautifully in that, in the, the pink ball test. I mean, they were a couple of absolute Jaffers that are spinning on. A, was a shooting off the pitch, but uh, rather unusually so, as that graphic in the fourth test showed us um, that the pink ball was spit was uh, skidding on far more than the than the red. But look, overall, we, we can make grand statements about the, about the culture, and 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 they're all grounded in reality. Um, the, the The slight brackets, the aside, I suppose, is is that Dan Lawrence looked like he'd, he'd figured out a way to play in that final test match. Maybe we'll come to him in a bit, um, but. As the game is funnelled more and more to the top of this pyramid and this, this big three thing, unofficially or otherwise, England will be playing a lot of Test cricket against India over the next 10, 10 to 12 years. And the likes of Crawley, Pope and Lawrence and Hamid and Duckett and all of these kinds of youngish players still, uh, if we really do want to genuinely go out there and and, and compete and compete on... on, on relatively level terms then there has to be a a sea change of attitudes and approach uh in our county game we touched on it last week on the show i think we should touch on it more as we move through the season the the big hope is that the conference system the three three divisions of six may actually change the, the the approach and attitudes of captains and coaches at county level and bring spinners through a little bit more and expose them uh Expose batsmen to real good quality spin on fourth day pitches, and even in England, it spins on the fourth day. So, so there are things to address, no question about it. And we haven't even got to the rotation policy yet.
0: We don't need to get into that. I think we've uh, talked about that enough this series.
1: I, I want to. I want to. The, did you see? Did you see the story in the in the mail on Sunday? On Sunday, that Root has broken ranks. Did you see this? Well, so Root has 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 come clean on it through the daily through the mail on Sunday. Uh, no longer will um, a big marquee test series under his watch be so uh, upended by um, this this rest and rotation policy, which may albeit be an anomaly because of the times that we 're living in and may not apply quite quite as much this time next year say however, um having bitten his, bitten his lip for the last two months uh, route uh, could bite it no longer. And Joe Joe made this point before the series even started. Penny for Joe, Root's thoughts regarding the, the rotation thing. Well, now now we now we know what those thoughts are. Uh, he's got on with it as best he can, but it's been a, it's been a real struggle for him as a, as a leader.
3: It's worth recording, I mean, they made four changes to a winning side after the first test of a series <laughs> in India. I mean, how many times has that happened in the history of Test cricket for the underdog who's won the first test to make four changes? That, that it's an almost impossible task to, to win from that point onwards. And look, I don't think they'd have won the series anyway. I don't think Butler being there rather than being at home would have, would have won them in the series, but I think it might've made it a little bit closer. Uh, but, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Root. I've, I've, I think that the schedule was, is, is ridiculous. I mean, they can't do all these things. And I, I do feel like there was an element that they thought they couldn't win in India. So yeah. we'll, yeah. we'll prioritize other things. And that's, that's a depressing state of affairs if, if that is the case. And, and rather they've added more test matches. I mean, we're all looking forward to New Zealand and England this summer. But um, well, those test matches shouldn't have been added to the schedule, really. Uh, it's, just, it's just too much cricket. And in the end, it will be the players and, and the fans that suffer, the, the, the fans that are frustrated they're not seeing the best of the players. And the players who are frustrated because they're either not playing or they're playing too much or they're being rested from games that they were desperate to play And the, the whole thing is is a bit of a mess. And I think, that, I mean, you'd say greed is at the heart of it, apart from due to COVID, I guess there is a lot of money that needs to be clawed back. So I wouldn't want to be too harsh on that. But it, there's just, there's too much, too much in there.
2: Yeah. And I think that the New Zealand series, it's it's tough as well because of just how good New Zealand are. If, they, if this was, you know, Bangladesh or or someone in England could sort of reliably like, uh, believe themselves to be able to compete if they picked a, a slightly weakened side, then you'd have, you know, more sympathy for the scheduling in that case. But considering that, you know, so the IPL schedules come out and it ends three days before that series starts, I think. So it seems pretty likely that if England players make the later stages, then they won't be available for that test series. And it's going to be, I mean, it'll be hard to be New Zealand anyway, you know, second best side in the world in that World Test Championship final with a team who are very capable in these conditions, as they've shown before. Uh, and Joe Root is at some point going to start being... Judged on these results, and so much of it is just out of his control. You know, if he's being like deprived of like a like, you know, it could, it could be four like first choice players that he's missing for that series or close first choice, uh, three or four, I guess, depending on what you consider Ali at that stage. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a tough thing. And especially as, as you're right for it, he has had to kind of not really talk about the impact of it because of, you know, being an ECB employee, wanting to toe the line and that sort of thing, uh, and I, I actually wrote a piece for Wisden.com looking at what the impact of the rotation policy is. I think it's hard to sort of describe the policies affecting the second test too much because I mean Butler was the big player to miss out, but Ben Stokes had a very good game in that second test. So I think that 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 test was probably you, know, that you can just put that down to be, India being so good, but that third test is a real missed opportunity, and especially if we consider that a big impact in that was England's team combination the fact that you know they bowled seam for so long on the first evening when it was actually getting dominated by spin if the rotation policy hadn't been in place and Monady had been around obviously there's no going to this but that, that that's where the big impact was where if Monady had been picked for that test and they had two spinners and you rely on that spin for a bit more and you also have the batting depth I think that's the, the game where you can say there might well have been an impact there I know it's a 10 wicket win in the end but If England had clawed up to a Cessna India 150, then that could have been a very different contest. I think that's the one I'll look back on, really, is the the missed opportunity as much as the fourth test. Uh, And yeah, at at, at some point, I think, I mean, it's hard to think. When have England had as hard a home summer as this one? facing Would they ever have faced the two, maybe the two best teams in the world uh, across seven tests in a summer before? I can't think of that happening.
0: Not in a long time.
2: And uh, to do that with, you know, a semi-weekend team and a team without playing a lot of first-class cricket for some of them is a, a very hard ask, and it is, it is going to be tough on route. I think.
1: Yeah, and
2: and and and
1: this is the winter. Let's let's be frank. This is the winter when the IPL finally assumed that primacy uh, in 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 the, the the priority list of the top top echelon players. Um, if any of, and look, I'm not sitting in judgment here. But if any of Stokes, Bairstow, Moen et-, et al had said, I'm going to forego it because this test series right here is the the most important, the be all and end all of my of my winter's cricket, uh, then we wouldn't be we wouldn't be discussing this thing. Uh, this is the this is the winter when uh, all the all the variables aligned and England had England's top brass top Echelon players, had the misfortune to be on tour in India minutes before the IPL started. And while all the caveats are necessary about COVID and the strains and stresses of being in these bubbles cannot be underestimated, but the the brutal truth is that this was the, this was the winter. This was the winter when all of those concerns that had been percolating around for many years before finally came home to roost and an England test team was severely... Hindered and affected as a consequence of the power and the persuasiveness of the IPL, and that's just unavoidable. That's an unavoidable uh, byproduct of this winter.
2: Yeah, and then we should and we should just acknowledge well that England's in a way almost bargaining position, if, if you want to call it that, is weakened because you know these players have had to accept pay cuts in recent times, so that they, they can't sort of. And whereas you know IPL deals are as valuable as ever, there hasn't been a reduction in in value of those. So I think that and and you know. It, as, yeah, I don't think anyone's judging players here for making personal choice. I think we're just commenting on what the reality of those choices are and mean, which is that yeah, the, the IPL is almost now the the most important thing for a cricketer, and may, maybe that's fine, but it's also the case I think.
0: Your well, moment of the week was that Lawrence. Not Ben wrote something for the website, kind of imagining how England try and get all their batsmen into a. Top six, top seven for that summit, assuming everyone's available. Ben, how, how do you think that England might manage that?
2: Well, I personally think they sort of shouldn't try and manage that, I think. Because uh, obviously the temptation is to want to pick, you know, all of Hope, Lawrence, Butler, maybe folks, maybe Sam Curran back in England. Uh, but I think that, you know, we've seen so many times for England recently when they've tried to sort of take one of their mid order or lower mid order players and sort of shove them into that number three role. And it hasn't worked. Basically, that was the winter of uh, when would it have been 2018, 19 when they had five number threes and six test matches, Uh, you know, Ben Stokes over one innings. It was a quite quite silly situation. And I think Ollie Pope is the one I think that they'll look at and think, is he ready to move up to number three? And he might be at some point, but he's just not yet. His like, his development is taking, probably longer than England would have hoped as a test cricketer, but equally that shouldn't come as too great a surprise. You know, there's lots of players that have taken this long to sort of really uh, sort of find their, their game and to properly prove that they can kind of crack it and, uh, and have gone on to have, have successful test careers. So I don't think it's, it's any damning indictment of Pope that he isn't yet ready to be a number three. But I think that for the moment, basically I, th- I think there's a slot to be won. essentially. I mean, it could be that Rory Burns tears it up in the start of the, County summer and comes back to open and probably goes back down to number three, or it could be that there's a, a county batsman, could be, you know, a, a Dow of Milan. it could be something like that, who sort of comes in and stakes a claim. But I, I would be against pushing up a Pope or a Lawrence or even a Ben Stokes uh, to number three, uh, just so you can fit all those players in, because we've seen how specialised position that is at first drop. And you're kind of, it's, it's not really a solution if the player that you're putting up there is unsuited to the role and therefore doesn't perform. That's not really a solution at all, in my opinion.
3: Ben, presumably with Pope, you're, saying, you're not saying he's under to the role and that he won't be able to fulfil it ever. It's not against his style. It's just a lack of experience in that position, yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's it, yeah. I mean, because, you know, for, for all his promise, he averages, what, just over 30 in Test cricket at the moment? And that falls down to 23 in the last 12 months. I think he's, he is struggling a bit at the moment. Not that England shouldn't show faith, but I just think that that show of faith shouldn't extend to asking him to, you know, sit in the most important position in the batting order yet, yeah, so I think. And, you know, maybe that changes if he, if he goes back to Surrey and says, can I bat number three? And then well, four hundred and nine games. but
3: This is what I was going to say. I mean, you, you pointed out before we started that there are nine rounds of county championship games before the first test of the summer. Uh, I think Pope should bat three for Surrey. I mean, Surrey's batting lineup has not exactly been firing. I think they could do with him there. And we know Pope's record in county cricket is astonishing kind of uh, right up there with the very best in, in first-class cricket, domestic first-class cricket of all time. So I think he should bat three. He could easily have a couple of tons by the time the first test rolls around. And then he probably is quite a good option to bat at three. Cause I don't think there are a huge, we you talk about being a specialist role, but the problem is they don't have that many people in that role to fill that position. So mm. that's what I would be thinking I as Pope. And I think he's had a tough winter, but I think we, we shouldn't forget the innings he played in South Africa, what he's done in County cricket. Um, he's still very much going to be part of England's future. Um, and yeah, I could easily see him batting at three um in the, in the not-too-distant future.
1: It's worth bearing in mind that the final test match of last summer, uh, a lad went out batting at three and got 267. So it's not unreasonable to think that Crawley may just slip back into that role in England. Uh, the experiment of opening him over the winter, I think, personally, I thought made sense. But uh, I think we've seen... Um, that he's, you know, he has his issues against, being in a way that he certainly doesn't against seam. So is there, there's every chance that Crawley just slips back in there, and Lawrence sits on the bench, and I think that's fine. I think that's that's fair. I mean, the kid's only just getting going anyway. The the, the more expansively attacking move would be to open with Crawley. To make, you know, I know that he's done it successfully before, and he he started his Test career as an opener. Um, so it's possible that they could do that and and bring Joe's as ever sensible regarding pope um, stokes is another option stokes, stokes is an intriguing option and if stokes is going to bowl less and less then you can you can theoretically he has the game to bat three he also has the 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 tempo to bat three in an attacking team the the, the it's offset by how important he is in that middle in that middle section with some youngish players potentially around him but then again, if Butler is developing properly and is 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 now comfortable at Test level and he's at seven, then maybe you don't need Stokes at five quite so quite so critically. There's all kinds of permutations. Um, but but I but when it comes to Lawrence, who my sense is that firstly I was surprised that he got got to play in that final Test match. I, I wasn't really expecting that to happen, and I thought we would end up with Lawrence having had a taste of it without really having shown too much. That seventy in the first Test match. Uh, The way that he batted in that final game does throw it off kilter a little bit because he showed that he had the temperament and the balls to do it uh, in a horrible pressure cooker, futile situation. Um, And he played nicely across both innings there. So that might might turn England's head a little bit. Uh, I can see Lawrence in a bizarre kind of face off type, type fashion actually fulfilling a kind of collingwood like role in this england side at 5 or 6 despite batting obviously nothing like him but doing that kind of role where he he the other players work around him i can see that being that being a nice role for lawrence down the line in this england side um there's all kinds of permutations my instinct is that lawrence won't get the won't get the nod initially um and batting at Chelmsford, he's not going to walk into that first Test match with four or five hundreds under his belt. So my instinct is that he'll probably be in the squad, but uh, sitting on the bench initially.
2: Yeah, but I, I think that as much as we talk about the players that are currently in the team, I think there will be a lot of county players looking at that number six position, feeling that it hasn't been nailed down. And looking at that number three position also and feeling that there might be, and the Openers position, and feeling that there's, there's more reward than there might normally be for... Having a you know the right one to form at the right time this summer, I think, especially with so much counter cricket before uh, that first test match, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out someone that we haven't really discussed too much, like possibly a, a Joe Clark, someone like that, making a a real case for that first test against New Zealand. Uh, I can see that happening, even if you know it feels like England have such a, a array of options at the moment. Or...
1: yeah, and um, Sibley's played eighteen. Test matches now, and has made a single figure score in the first innings of half of them. This is across all kinds of different conditions. I like Dom Sibley a lot as a bloke, and i like to I like to see the way that he goes about it. Um, I like his industriousness, his resourcefulness, uh, but there are concerns there, unavoidable concerns there. Uh, Rory burns again we would collectively we were lauding having two good old fashioned one right, one left, opening batsman a year or so ago, and now they are both uh, in the spotlight. Let's be fair, and so, and so, you know, a, a Will Rhodes type player to to break out in those early year, early months of the season, undoubtedly then does throw those opening spots and the number three spot up for grabs. This is this is often the way it is. Come the end of a of a grueling winter, suddenly everything's up for grabs. We haven't even mentioned Johnny Burstow, by the way. We haven't even mentioned him at all. Um, Joe, is that experiment finished? I
3: think so. Well, I only really thought he should be recalled because he was such a good player of spin. But then we got a reminder that like most English players, when the ball's turning like that, they do do struggle. I don't know. I mean, it was a pretty miserable experience, wasn't it? With a bit of optimism after Sri Lanka and then the whole situation, which we don't need to go back into about him going home, uh, which was all... Yeah. Supposedly for the benefit of his mental health. I don't think it can be, he can be feeling particularly great at this time. And it would have been a really difficult period for him. Uh, yeah. I don't see him playing test cricket again,
1: personally. <coughs> no, me, me neither, really. I was surprised. But behind it, I, I like the, the theory, the thinking of this being a kind of a one-off winter. hasn't worked. Uh, and I think now they, it will be... Sensible of them to recognise that he offers a lot in white ball cricket, but in red ball cricket there are other better options. Just
3: just one name to mention, and, and Ben brings them up fairly regularly, But and I think you might have just mentioned now actually, but uh, David Milan I think is one worth keeping an eye on early weeks of the season. Uh, he had a brilliant start for Yorkshire last summer, um, right up there in the top of the averages. Uh, and also he's got the kind of handy Ashes century in his back pocket, which as we get towards that squad is going to count for quite a lot, I think. Uh, and he hasn't gone to Yorkshire to... To finish off his county career, he's he's gone to Yorkshire to win back his England spot. He's fiercely ambitious. And even though these things shouldn't really matter because they're such different formats, his stock as an international batsman has risen hugely based on what he's done in T20 cricket, which I think does have an impact to a degree. Uh, so I think he's he's one worth keeping there, your eye on over the kind of, the first yeah. couple of months of the county season.
1: And while, and while we're here, let's all do the Hasib dance. Let's all do the haseeb Amid uh, jig. Um, Vice-captain now at Knotts. Who's to say? Gets a couple of hundreds of early doors, we'll be all in, won't we? You know that we will.
0: I, this, it's, I always find it um, the, the start of a county championship series after England have had a bad winter. Not necessarily not saying that England had a bad winter, but when England haven't done great, it's just so much more exciting because uh, <laughs> all, all, all these there are so many players who, uh, some of whom are not on the radar at all. Somebody could have four hundreds by mid-May, and suddenly they're right in discussion, and equally. Some people can bat, like Hamid, bat their way out of the team as well. Like, out of the guys that we mentioned, somebody could average 23 after eight rounds, and suddenly, somebody we assume is um, is a shoe in, at least for a spot in the squad, could be completely out of the picture. I'm
2: it's- sorry, I wonder if just the I thing is just worth dwelling on slightly longer as kind of like a parable for England's almost test fortunes and like a, 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 from a wider perspective. Because in the abstract, I don't think there's anything in a way stopping him from coming again as a test cricketer. In that you know, he's shown he can do it before, and he's shown that he can kind of like adapt his technique to sort of white ball cricket, test cricket, to uh, to sort of to, to, to fit our, and to overcome sort of like a technical issue. But he's just never going to get the time, as, as I see it, to have that sort of eight-game county stint, along with working alongside coaches away from like the spotlight, uh, to just rectify that issue that he does have against, straight bowling in particular, that was kind of opened up after he moved up to white ball cricket. And so and he's another one, actually, that although he's wouldn't exactly be in the frame for a test, a test call-up, if, if he were to just have one season where I like, I'm not going to do the IPL this year, I'm going to have nine games for Yorkshire, I'm going to really just work on that one specific issue. I could see that having almost like a transformative impact on his game. And I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Basically, the cards just aren't going to fall that way for him. And that's fine. He's going to go down with one of England's best ever white ball players but that's that's almost i think there's a world where that's all it would take for the best i think because we know how good he has been before and we know how good he kind of still is in in white ball cricket and i i don't think it would always take that much for him to become a test class batsman again but i also don't think that it's going to happen i guess
1: i've got a question for for any and all of you uh of all of these names and there is one other actually that we haven't even mentioned of all of these names if you could guarantee that one of them makes five hundreds by the first test match and demands that they're in that squad demands that they're in that 11 of these batsmen that we're talking about who who, who are you going with joe first of all uh
3: i would go body pope right i think he's got the most to offer so i want him in the in the the best form
2: yes pope and crawley and ben yeah sorry i was going to say pope as well so i'll change to not be boring uh i guess i'll say hamid even though if he didn't make 500s, so I might set him not cautioning against him being recalled at that stage.
1: Well, 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 well. The most natural number three of the lot is James Vince. So if he makes, if he strums 500s for Hampshire by the by the end of May, then I'm in. I'm all in on that one. Moving on, before I get too much too much grief.
0: Going back to the to the test match itself, one of the reasons England England struggled in that final session was that they went into that test, as Phil alluded to, a bowler light, a bowler less than they normally go into a test match with. Um, we semi-seriously considered this possibility on last week's pod. Um, and I think it's fair to say we were all a bit surprised by the eventual selection. Dom Best came back in for one of the seamers and Dan Lawrence came in for one of the others. Did you have a problem with that balance or was it the person involved? I mean, they ended up fielding an out-of-form 23-year-old spinner on a crucial test where was expected to turn from day one. There are a few quick biz stats about Best floating about at the number of full tosses he bowled, but they didn't tell you anything that your eyes couldn't. Um, h- how do you think that he ended up playing because we often hear about players who are deemed unselectable. I thought it was actually painful watching Bess at times, really, really struggling, especially on that second day.
3: It, it was really, really tough to watch. And I think it was particularly tough because a lot of people saw it coming. So I think everyone was ready to watch his first over, fearing it might go that way. And, and it did right from the start. It's a really t- there's a kind of chicken or egg thing going on here. Did, did he Was his confidence crushed by being dropped after the first test when he didn't bowl that well, but did take wickets? or actually was he unselectable after that first test because he bowled so poorly in the second innings and what we didn't see was he bowling poorly in the nets. Now, Joe Root can't come out and say, well, we can't pick Don Best because he's bowling like a drain. Uh, I mean, it's happened in the past. Ashley Jones famously described Stephen Finn as uh, unselectable and, and that, well, that, that, that really hit Finn and, and stayed with him for a long time and, and we've, we never really saw the best of him again. So I have a lot of sympathy with, how England were trying to manage that situation. I think they probably just took a punt and thought, well, you know what, he's not bowled particularly well quite a few times for England, but he's always taken wickets. Let's just see how he goes. Uh, and they didn't really, frankly, have that many other options by that stage. Are you going to throw in one of the, one of the kids who's not even part of that full squad? Uh, they'd already got burnt by not playing enough spinners in the previous game. So as ever, when you get to the end of these tours in the subcontinent. It feels like England's options are suddenly very limited. Uh, either players aren't aren't playing well enough to be picked, or you're playing players that you don't expect to do particularly well because you don't feel like you've got the other options.
0: Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I, and we don't know how Best was bowling in between his two Test appearances, but he he was bowling at least one full toss and over, really. And if that's the case, you kind of think just like anyone's better than that, you know? Surely one of the un, uncapped guys would you think? offer more and on those kind of pictures just like even if you're just like landing it semi-consistently you're going to cause some kind of trouble
1: yeah easy being wise after the event and all of that but Arma I, I, Verdi was was with the squad um and I don't know one or two others as well if, if this had been a seamer, if this had been a Stephen Finn then there would have been more more flexibility I think to, to bring in a, a, a bolter you know a, a seamer like an Ollie Stone type person at that point in his career but for whatever reason, because because of the nature of spin and the the like the raw inexperience of most of our spinners, young spinners, then then it always seemed like a like a, a jump too far. I think to have brought him in. The, the the real choker for England would have been seeing balls fly past the nose and being taken by pants in in front of his face from the seamers in that on that first day. There was pace in that pitch, and so then to have Stone and Archer and Broad. Both all sitting on the on the Judy Dench, I mean that 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 was a real killer for them, I think. because uh, that pitch would have actually suited the makeup of their team for the first couple of days. As it was by that point, they were done. Just on on, on poor Don Bess's tendency for the full toss, this is a mental thing without a doubt, because it's it pockmarks the opening ball of a number of his spells and sometimes the first ball of an over as well. Uh, until he gets himself into the over, he tends to finish an over better than he starts it at the moment, and that is that is a psychological thing that that is that is purely a mental thing um and he's a he's as i said earlier he's a really wholehearted cricketer and yeah it's it's been quite tough to watch. I do think that they like him, and I do think that they have faith in him and he is young and he needs a good year with yorkshire bowling on unresponsive pitches, but getting getting to know how to how to go about his game. And I do think he will feature again for England. I don't think that was a make-or-break moment for him. Um, and I hope it wasn't, because it, be it would be a shame to lose a, a plucky cricketer like that.
3: And there was kind of further discomfort added to the whole narrative in that Root was so obviously the better option to be bowling at that point. But then as captain, did he want to destroy Bess's confidence by saying, like, basically saying, look, you're not doing the job, I'm going to do it myself. Uh, and Root probably bowled Bess too long and didn't bowl himself enough but I can absolutely see why he did that uh, and that was it was kind of unfortunate that he was the captain in that situation yeah. because it was it was would have been him saying I'm taking the ball.
1: If there's one vignette from this series to take away one visual moment from this series it is day one second test Moeen Ali bowling a mixture because he hasn't bowled in months and clean bowling Coley through the gate with an all-time Jaffa on a day when he goes at four and a half, five and over, and England kind of lose the game on that first day, as Sharma's bat does the talking, and Moeen can't quite keep it together. However, that moment sums up England's winter for me. An absolute jaffa by a bowler who would have had a lot to say in test matches three and four, but was home uh, comfortably before that third one even began.
0: We've talked about um, what English cricket to do can, to produce more spinners and better prepare their batsmen for spin. I think one one thing that is just like quite damning with the predicament that England are in is that you're only one spinner, kind of like the prime years of their career was in the squad really. So there's one, Jack Leach was the only spinner who toured, who was born between 1987 and 1996. Four of the spinners who went were 24 or under. Um, then you had Jack Leach and um, Moeen Ali. Um, so I get that they weren't ready-made replacements there, but, you know, it's, quite that England just didn't actually have anyone kind of like age 28 who they thought could just do a job in a test match. Let's talk about the Indian spinners. Ashwin ended up with the player of the series award taking 32 wickets at 14 as well as getting that 100 at Chennai. Axel Patel ended up with 27 wickets at 10.59. Um Ben can you can you remember a debut series as good as that with the ball? And then do you think he's um actually going to play again the next time India play a test match or even <laughs> test match?
2: Uh can I remember how uh, David series, that good, the ball? No, is the, is the short answer, basically. And, and and we should actually, you know, as, as much we can talk about England's deficiencies playing spin, as much we can talk about the pitches. He was just brilliant, and, and especially brilliant just at understanding immediately how to bowl on the pitches that he came up, uh, that he was faced with, and the balls that he was faced with bowling with. Like, he wouldn't have bowled with a pink ball much in his career, and yet knew instantly that it was that, sort of that quicker, straighter one, mixed with sort of the sharp turning... Uh, the, the sharp turning one that was going to just give him like huge rewards in it, and it and it did so yeah that was a that was brilliant yeah he's he, I mean he's very unlike he's playing the World Test Championship final uh, India might just go in with one spinner and even if they go in with two Jadeja will be fit by then and you'd think it'd be Jadeja and Ashwin and yeah he's going to have a hard time fighting past Jadeja because they're they're very similar bowlers really they're both they're not just left arm spinners as you say as you were saying earlier as so there's spin bowlers and there's spin bowlers there's many different types but him and Jadeja are both that kind of darting, accurate, quick type. And that, so they offer very similar uh, things to, attack, to India's attack. Whereas, uh, so I think that even if India are going in with three spinners in the future, we also didn't see much of him with the bat, although supposedly he can bat a bit. But if India's first choice are Ashwin and Jadeja, who can both bat as well, then uh, I think, yeah, f- fighting past them is going to be very difficult. Uh, but, you know, Jadeja will not be around forever. Uh and he could well, you know, we've seen Ashwin Jadeja also kind of dovetail for form and kind of come in and out of the side. I don't think it's it out of the question that in a few years' time, we're at, uh, Patel's back in the side and is a, uh, uh, you know, on his way to you know to fill in that hole very capably. I think so, yeah, he was a, uh, was absolutely brilliant.
3: There mm. a thought for um, Shabazz Nadim. Do you remember him from what <laughs> yeah. four weeks ago? <laughs> two for two hundred and thirty-three. Uh, unlikely to be seen in test cricket again I'd have thought uh, bowling on a flat one and then he watches Axel Patel come in and, and do what he did over the next few tests I'm not saying Shabazz would have done exactly the same but also spare a thought for Ravi Jadeja who might have uh, enjoyed bowling on those surfaces he might have averaged even fewer than uh, Axel Patel
1: Well, I, re- I remember saying with, with absolute conviction a month and a half ago oh, Jadeja is going to be a big miss lads you listen to me that flat darting left arm spin, without Jadeja, England are going to have a proper chance. And then they just found Jadeja times seven. Um, so it's quite quite impressive, really.
0: You were both very right and very wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That sums it up. Um, we've had quite a few questions asking um, about how how good we think India are. Stephen C asked, are we on the brink of a West Indies Australia style period of total domination from India? And We had a couple of questions asking um, who we thought would win the series in England this summer. Phil, let's go 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 to you, what do you think?
1: We, we, we talked about this a, a month or two ago. Uh, I think there will be uh, waves and peaks and troughs. Uh, I don't see there being a sustained period a la Australia's 16 wins in a row or the West Indies decade and a half, two decades of dominance, because there are variables at work and because there's some good cricket teams around. However, I think that India will be the preeminent team for a fair old while from here to from here here onwards, as they have been really for the last few years anyway, and that home record before England punctured it, albeit for a week uh, is, is extraordinary to have lost one Test match in eight years or whatever it was um as for this this summer, I think India will win the series, yeah I do and um, and people have said this in the build up to England India series before in England, and in invariably England win the clutch moments. Uh, and then win the series I think this time round I think with everything that India has and I think with that pace attack uh that emergent pace attack uh, I think I think they are primed for it I really do I think I think they're ready for it and I think as much as England will never admit it in public all of their energies are now governed to to, to Australia next winter and I think India can slip in there they'll be fresh because they'd have played the the World Test Champs final, they'd have played an, enough county stuff as well so their players will be focused. It won't be that they'll be flying in 48 hours before that first Test match. And I think I think it'll be a humdinger, but I fancy India to, to edge it. 3-2, three, 3-1, three, something like that.
0: So I, I would still have England as marginal favourites, mainly just because I think there are, there are question marks over most of the Indian top six, top seven. Um, so I, yeah, I would just have England as favourites. But... Phil, if you think in India are favourites, if they do win that, having beaten Australia in Australia, they're beating England in England the next year, that, that those are two of the biggest challenges they're going to face in Test cricket. So they are going to go on a very long run without, you think, without losing a series, if that's the case, and building up a kind of record that stands up against the very best Test size that ever played the game.
1: Yeah, indeed. Even for the asterisk of that previous Australia tour with the Steve Smith, uh, Warner stuff, they have still gone to Australia now and won two in two, which is extraordinary. Um, but they haven't won in England since 2008. So that's that, that's that's really the key. If they can get over that last frontier, if you like, then regardless of what New Zealand do to them um, in June, uh, they will be un- out there on their own. Uh, the question is how much daylight they can build up um, from from themselves to, to, to the, the chasing pack. Um, yeah, it will be it will be fascinating to see how it all plays out. But but you look at the you look at the depth of what of their talent, and you look at the uh, the 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 kind of good arrogance that they have. You know the kind of arrogance you want in your sports teams, in your in your individuals. The kind of arrogance that Australia had in the past. The kind of arrogance that West Indies had in the past. There's that brilliant quote, incidentally, from Viv that's just come out that Chris Chris Cowdrey mentioned. It appeared on Twitter when Chris Cowdrey turns up in his blazer for the toss with Viv Richards and he's head to toe in his finery and Viv turns up in a Bob Marley t-shirt and Chris Cowdery starts reading out the team that he's going to play in this proud test match, Chris Cowdery's captain of. And he gets four, four players down and Viv says, ah, don't worry about it. It doesn't make any difference anyway. And then shakes his hand. Now that was the story of them. Australia under war and Ponting speaks for itself. And now they are beginning India to, to echo those kinds of eras of dominance. Um, the, the the nature of cricket is that you, I struggle to see it being blanket dom- dominance, but by the same token, I struggle to see India ever falling back into the pack. They're just too strong, too vast, too powerful, uh, and they know it. That's the key. They know it.
2: Yeah, I, I suppose, but it's almost an inversion of, of that Viv of Richards thing, where with India, it's, it, it doesn't matter who we pick, we're going to win. Like they've uh, <laughs> yeah. won in Australia and in India with such a sort of contrasting lineups, uh, with you know newbies coming in and taking wickets and scoring runs straight away. I I think the, I think, yeah, India have as good a chance as they've sort of ever had. And I think that uh, the depth in that pace tack especially is key. And we saw Siraj's uh, working over of Joe Root on day one of the fourth test match was complete. And, you know, on a a pitch that sure it was, it was bouncing a bit, it was reasonably useful for Seam, but that's, that's conditions where Joe Root would back himself to like to, to, you know, to not be like a, completely defeated by a scene bowler and Suraj did that. So that that's huge for India. And, you know, it might even be that he's sort of first choice by the time that that series rolls around in England, he looks like he could be a very capable bowler there. And then, you know, they've got Imesh Yadav as well. So they, they've got a sort of a, a battery of quips, really, that means that even if there's a bit of injury, a bit of loss of form, uh, they can bat themselves to take 20 English wickets reasonably cheaply. The question is just over that, uh, yeah, over the batting order and especially obviously Rohit Sharma and Pant, so Pant, we know, can bat in England. We know he's sort of a generational talent. I think you can. He he might well have a big role to play. Uh, but Rohit Sharma has, you know, he's he's got this weakness to the ball that moves in off the seam. Uh, he's got this hugely contrasting difference between his home record and his away record. So him doing this well in in the home Test series was huge for India. But in a way, it wasn't surprising. And we still don't know a huge amount about how is going to be in England. I mean, you sort of fancy that he's got the sort Of the technique and the ability to crack it, but he, you know, he might not. And then the core of that lineup for so many years is Pajara, uh, Rahane and Koya, and each of them averages, I think, less than 30 since the start of last year. Cody hasn't got a hundred in any format since uh, since 2019. Rahane's got that, obviously, got that one at the MCG, but uh, since then, it's, it's uh, it's all and either side of that has really struggled. And Pajara is kind of batting all day a lot of the time, but isn't scoring any runs, and if the others aren't batting around him then that's only of limited effectiveness so I think if you know if if one of those three I think comes back to form properly then India have a really good chance but as it stands with those I think England will just look at that batting lineup and think that James Anton with a ball that suits him and Stuart Broad and Chris Wokes they will uh, fancy themselves to still be able to get England over the line. But, yeah, it'll be a really, really good one, I
1: think. Okay, I I hear all of that. Um, And your point, especially about Pajara and Rahane, I think is a fair one, Um, very fair one. Kohli, I don't think that really counts. Yeah, I mean, great players are allowed to be struggling for five minutes. Um, Sharma, I'll say it now, probably wrong. I think Sharma will, will play and score runs in England. I think the way that he played Anderson against the new ball this winter showed that he's beginning to figure it out at test match level. He played it very, very late. Uh, he stayed slightly leg side of it to ensure that he doesn't get his front pad in front of off stump. Uh, and he played the swinging seeming ball really, really well, I thought, this, this, this winter. And I think uh, when it settles down in England and those short boundaries come out to play, and I mean, he's always scored boatloads of white ball runs in England. I think Sharma is, is good enough and that, that stat about home and away is true, but it's an oddly smallish sample size uh, of his away form, really. I, I think that this is this is his time. Uh, and I think him and Gil opening in England, I mean, my word. You know, just go and watch that. That'd be sensational.
0: And rohit did well in Australia as well. He didn't get, like, one standout. He yeah. get to really go straight attack. He did well there. Um, well, anyway, moving away from the Test Series, England women beat New Zealand 3-0 in the second game Freya Davies took a 4 for in a comfortable six-wicket win. And in the final game, England with Nat Skiver um, in as captain, Heather Knight was injured. Um, England won that by 32 runs. Probably the most encouraging win of the lot, actually. Um, there were runs from Zafia Dunkley, who batted for the first time in the series. She scored 26. And Fran Wilson scored a quick 31 not out. And Maddie Villiers took three for 10 as well. I guess, Ben, we were talking about it on last week's show, about how England have been quite reliant recently on their their. More, most established batters getting the big runs for them. So it was good to see Dunkley and Wilson in the runs.
2: Yeah, and that, and that, that's, that innings is the kind of innings that Dunkley can play, I think, because she does have this, you know, she's, she's got a power game, she can hit boundaries, but she just understands what a situation demands, I think. And so in that 30-20 when England were, what, uh, 24 for two with Beaumont out and then 34 for three, Siv sort of uh, quite selflessly ran herself out to give the junior partner sort of a bit more time in the middle, I think. And then she sort of, uh, you know, didn't, didn't look fluent in May 26, but also knew that if she could just stick around, if they could get up to past, if they could get up near 130s, they eventually did, then they would have enough in the bowling department to see off New Zealand. And, that, and that's the kind of thing that she'd bring. She, she, she kind of knows when to, like, to, how to mould a game to the situation. And that's why I think she's so exciting. So yeah, that, that, that was really encouraging.
0: Um, Indie Women were back in action for the first time in pretty much exactly a year. It was their first ODI in well over a year, actually. They were comfortably beaten by South Africa in the first game that series by eight wickets. Mitali Raj, who's now 38, scored a 50, but India could only score 177. South Africa chased it down with 10 overs to spare and very nearly won that by 10 wickets after a 169-run opening stand between Liselle Lee and Laura Wolfart. Joe, what's your moment of the week?
3: Uh, a couple of interesting appointments in South African cricket. Uh, Quinton Decock, who I think it's fair to say, Didn't give the impression he was enjoying the role all that much, uh, and it seemed to be affecting his form too, has stepped aside. So he's been replaced as test captain by Dean Elgar, their gritty opening batsman. Uh, But perhaps more interestingly, uh, particularly given South Africa's schedule over the next couple of years, which is very much dominated by white ball cricket, is that Temba Bavuma has been named ODI and T20 captain. Uh, So he's become South Africa's first permanently appointed Black African captain. Uh, And all being well, captain his country at two T20 World Cups and a 50-over World Cup in the next three years. So really busy time for white ball cricket. An exciting time to get the job. Um, He's been successful captain with Lions in South African domestic cricket. And Graham Smith talked about the fact that his leadership qualities have been kind of noticed for a long while now. Uh, But he has only played six ODIs and eight T20Is. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how he juggles leading that side, whilst also showing that he kind of deserves his place as a batsman alone. Um, but, you know, it's another historic moment for South African cricket, and Babouma was understandably keen not to focus too much on that aspect of his appointment. Uh, captaining your country kind of brings enough challenges that, as it is without that rather weighty one on your shoulders. Um, but I would suggest uh, his first job should be to get on the phone to AB de Villiers and, and beg him, ask him for one last Hurrah at the t 20 World Cup later this year. And then who knows? South Africa could go on could legitimately go on and win it. I think they have got a a strong enough side certainly to be in the mix. And if you can add the Villiers to it, uh, then I think they could be there or thereabouts.
0: Yeah, Bavuma's white ball career is almost the opposite of his test career in that he's had very few opportunities um, and done really well there. Um, And it's almost been quite strange how infrequently he's played in white ball cricket based on how well he's done. Um, and I guess on Elgar, just the, we talked about potentially Mark getting captaincy, but Elgar is just the most sensible decision, really. One of the only few, only only batsmen in that team who's actually guaranteed a spot at the moment.
3: He's also made it clear that he's desperate for it, which shouldn't necessarily count for all that much when it comes to Test captaincy. But they they, they aren't exactly awash with options. Uh, he's definitely going to play, uh, and it he he just looks like a South African Test captain, doesn't he? There's, 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 there's something about him. Um, so that, it looks like two very sound appointments. The de Kock thing never really felt right uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, so I think all parties will be glad that's over. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky job being captain of South Africa uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, it'd be fascinating to see how they both go.
0: My moment of the week was uh, Kieran Pollard hitting six sixes in and over. It was, a, an, it was an amazing game, actually. So he hit the six sixes off Akila Dan and Jaya. Who had already taken a hat trick in the same innings, so he goes from an almighty high to a to a pretty damning low. Um, and the, the the actual moment for me was Ian Bishop on commentary It had to be Ian Bishop on commentary, um, and when the final six went over the boundary rope, he said, uh, "Herschel Gibbs, you Rod Sing, you have company." Um, yes. <laughs> And it was also, Dwayne Dwayne Bravo scored um, a seventeen-ball unbeaten four, at the end of that run chase. As a, <laughs> he didn't have that many wickets um, in hand, but plenty of time with those six sixes.
1: Do, do, do you know? Do you know what? Yes. I, obviously, I'm I'm dead inside, but I found it utterly un unremarkable. The, the Pollard thing. Um, maybe I'm just I'm just too tired of it. I don't know. I don't know why. But but I watched it and. I felt no real build-up of tension and no no real kind of jaw-to-the-floor response to it come, come its completion. It was such a tiny, tiny little ground. The absence of anybody in it obviously exacerbates this the this surreal, sur- surreality of it, I suppose. Um, uh, it was done with great nonchalance by Pollard, but it didn't feel like a great sporting moment in a, in a funny kind of way.
0: I don't know what you mean. I think me I, I was almost surprised that has not done it already
1: yeah maybe that's
3: what it is <laughs> it's a rarity as well isn't it and it's one of those records that is becoming less and less impressive you know like every time someone breaks the 100 meter world record you're like wow how are they going faster and faster well, there are reasons but in terms of this record i mean people almost do it all the time now so when someone actually managed to pull it off it, i don't think it's quite as uh Kind of staggering as well, it's definitely not as staggering as it once as it once was.
0: Mm, definitely.
3: Um, anyway, we've just rained on your your moment of the week story. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. yeah. It was to be honest, it was more the commentary anyway, so I'm all right. Okay. Um, Although
3: that was definitely more Brian Blessed than Ian Bishop, your uh, impersonation. That
0: I wasn't going to try the accent. Um,
3: <laughs> Probably wise.
0: Yeah. Um, well, West Indies won that series two one. They won a, a low scoring decider by three wickets. A um, couple of couple of good performances from young Trankens. Walindu Hasaranga, who we saw uh, in the England Test Series, did really well. Uh, He took eight wickets across the three games. Um, And Pathum Nisanka, who I've mentioned before in the pod, he got a few 30 odds um, for Sri Lanka. He's 22, averages 67 in first-class cricket, got 13 first-class hundreds and is in the Sri Lanka squad for the Test Series. So good chance of him making his debut there. Um, and in New Zealand, the Black Cups took their T20I series against Australia three two. Martin Guptill scored seventy one in the decider. Isodi took three for twenty four. Um, ben, what is your moment of the week?
2: So yeah, I mean, if, if this is near the end of the show, it's quite a, a disappointing note to finish on because uh, the, <laughs> it's the, the Pakistan Super League being postponed due to a sort of a, a succession of positive tests for COVID nineteen. Uh, there's been so i guess there's sort of there's quite a lot of a uh, dissection of how this actually came about and then but also i guess there's just the ramifications of what it means for the global calendar which obviously we know is already very squeezed psl has sort of had a bit of a window and now is going to really struggle i think to find a place to sort of give itself prominence uh alongside whenever reschedules. it looks like possibly in may alongside something ipl might be uh, an option which uh is not ideal but might might be the uh the, the compromise that they reach. Um, but yeah, there was a good piece on, on Crick Info by Osman uh, Adin, looking at the sort of the factors that led to the postponement. So, Fawad Ahmed, the Australia uh, uh, leg spinner, was the first to test positive. Uh, and it led to a postponement of a game, I think, last Monday. But so, he, he first started feeling, I think, on the Sunday evening. And then uh, he self-isolated straight away but not all his close contacts did. And then there was a, Azam Mahmoud's birthday party, would you believe, where there were lots of people who had been hanging out with Vaad Ahmed, who then went to this birthday party. And it seems like kind of from there it spread. And the piece really interesting, it talks also about um, the over-reliance by the PTB on tests. And they would often sort of make a big show of how many tests they had done and say, and, and that was kind of their kind of safety net. But that meant that, it, that there were lots of concerns over the sort of the safety of the of the bubble for example they were sort of sharing lifts for example with people who weren't in the bubble or the what were, they weren't sure if all the hotel staff were properly uh bubbled up and that sort of thing or if the cutter is being properly cleaned or you know to point of you know biosecurity and that sort of thing uh so yeah it's a uh, sort of a sad situation because i was really enjoying the competition uh between that and the ipl as, as my favorite t20 competition to watch i think and now it's sort of a I just after having such a high-octane start to the year for cricket with the England series, or the Australia series and then the England series, we're going to have just a little bit of a lot? I know we have the, the white ball gets camped with, but it's not the, the all-day, everyday thing that I kind of need to get me through lockdown, I guess. <laughs> um, just, just to
1: clarify, I didn't catch that. So there's talk that maybe they can reschedule what's left of the tournament during the IPL? Yeah, that, that's, the IPL.
2: that's been suggested,
1: yeah. That'll be fine. There, there won't be any, any comeback from that at all. That'll be, be fine. <laughs> Won't be any concerns
0: whatsoever. Finally, let's end the show with a, a Cameron Green Sheffield Shield update. <laughs> so, obviously, he didn't have a great start to his test career, but his numbers in the Sheffield Shield this 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 uh, winter, their summer, has been amazing. So, in, in non test first class cricket this season, his scores are 56, 11 not out, 197, 7 and 36, 56, 125 not out, 168 not out, and 251. So 907 runs at 129 400s. That's, uh, that's pretty handy. Yeah, but he hasn't batted at Armour and Badge yet, has he? So. He hasn't. No, no, he hasn't. Um, I think that's all we have for today's show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Phil. This has been the Wizarding Cricket Weekly podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends, and we'll be back next week. Cheers.
3: Podcast Network.